Everybody survived Christmas. <laughs> Those I didn't say, did you enjoy Christmas? We all enjoy Christmas. But did you survive it? Amen. God love you. We're happy for all of you that are with us here today. And, of course, we have some others that will be joining us, joining us later on in the service, in the morning Bible study. Last uh, week and the week before that and throughout the month of December, except this is the last Sunday in December, uh, <clears throat> we've been studying about the Christmas story, Jesus uh, being born and so forth. I'm going to read a scripture here today that's going to sort of catapult us into a different study, but it's right in line with what we've been studying, and it has to do with the uh, birth of Jesus and the events that followed shortly after his birth. So if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with us to Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. Luke 40, uh, 2 and 40. And this is going in a totally a different direction here this morning. And uh, we're going into the uh, first of the year uh, series of Bible studies that we're going to be talking to you about. I want to talk to you a lot about the teachings of Christ and the apostles. And, uh, but we're going to refer to some Old Testament scriptures and what they have to do with us today things that were under the law that have no bearing on us, yet spiritually they do have a bearing on us. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it and show you in Scripture where that, uh, that is spoken of. So if you have your Bibles, and I'd like you to turn with us to Luke chapter 2, verse 40, uh, the verse that preceded verse 40, that is verse 39, uh, speaks about Mary and Joseph going back to Nazareth in Galilee after Jesus was born. And uh, verse 39, if I can read that one, for instance, and when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And this ends the Christmas story as we know it. Now, verse 40 begins a new th thing about the life of Christ, and I'm going to read it to you, and it's not new to most, most of you, I'm sure nearly all of you, and that's verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is speaking of Jesus Christ now as a boy. And this is the only verse in the scripture that has anything to say at all about Jesus as a boy. I'm not going to go into detail about the event that happened when he was 12 years old, except to read verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And then in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, what I want to talk to you here today is about the feast of the Passover and what that represents to us and what that means to us today and how that that is such an application for us to understand that the Lord has done a great thing for all of us that we might be saved. Praise God. Um, if you look just for a moment, I want to show you a couple of scriptures in the Bible. And this is why we even look in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is law. The New Testament is grace. But there's reasons we study the Old Testament. And let me show you a verse of scripture here. First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 10 and verse 6. And uh, I'm going to read 6 and then verse 11. It says, now these things were our examples now, what we're talking about is the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea and, and the rock they drink the water from and all those things that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians. 
And then he says, here's why I'm telling you all of this. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, down in verse 11, it says, now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, or the word we would use today in modern English is examples. These all happened to them for examples unto, now these all things happened unto them for examples, uh, and they are written for our admonition. In other words, they're written for us to understand how these things apply to us in a spiritual sense. And then in Romans, it has another verse. That's two verses there in 1 Corinthians. Romans has one very similar to that, 15.4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Aforetime meaning under the law and not under, of course, under grace. And so they were written for our learning. So we're going to be looking a little bit here, and I want you to sort of follow me here today as we talk about the Passover, because this was that feast that Jesus and his parents went to when he was 12 years old. It was not Jesus's first time. In fact, they took him to that feast every year. So this was his uh, 12th, at least his 12th time, maybe the 13th time, depending on uh, how they, you know, figured the the, uh, whether they counted the first feast when he was born or what. But anyhow, this was Jesus' 12th or 13th time to go to Jerusalem to be at the feast of the Passover. And so I'm going to read some verses of Scripture to you here, and I'm going to start here, if you look with us, in Exodus 23, 14 to 16 here. Exodus uh, 14, uh, 15 and 16 here. So look at these verses with us for just a moment. 14. It says, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Three times. Now, I'm not going to get into the, all these feasts here, but verse 15 says, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread is the feast of the Passover. And during the feast of the Passover, uh, whenever they kept the feast of the Passover, it was for seven days. And when they did that, they had to get all the leaven out of the house. The Jewish people still do that to this day. Uh, leaven is what makes bread rise and stuff like that. And uh, yeast and bacon soda, bacon powder, however, whatever. You women know more about that than I do, of course. But uh, that's, this is a sort of a, the leaven. And they get rid of all of that. And the only bread they eat for seven days is unleavened bread, which it has no yeast in it, which it has no effect. It is just the natural bread. And this is what the Lord required of them. I'll read some more about that in a few moments. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was also called the Feast of Passover, which was a more common term. And we'll talk about why it was called the Feast of the Passover. And then down in uh, verse 16 of that same 23rd chapter of, of Exodus, it says, In the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labors. This is another feast they had to keep. Feast of Harvest was the, it's called the Feast of Pentecost. That's where the word Pentecost or Pentecostal comes from. And Pentecost means 50, and it was numbered 50 days after the Passover. When you had the Passover, and then you had, uh, then you would number 50 days after the Passover, and then you had the Feast of Pentecost. It was also called the Feast of the First Fruits. And it was also a major feast with, with the Jews. They had to always bring their, their, their sons to this feast. Three times it was required, Passover, 
uh, at Pentecost or the Feast of the uh, of leaven, Unleavened Bread. And then also the last one I'm going to read here in verse 16. I'll read the 16th verse th- uh, all the way through. The Feast of Harvest, the first fruits, which of course I just said was Pentecost, and of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is in the end of the year. And uh, that was also when the Day of Atonement was brought forth. And that was a series, that was a, a period of about seven to, fit to seven to 14 days. And uh, it was a time when the Lord forgave them of all their sins. And it was whenever they brought their great harvest, they finished all of their harvest. It was always held around the end of September. And uh, it was a very major time as well. These were the three feast times. And the Lord said that whenever you have these feasts, you always bring your sons uh, to this feast and they must appear before me. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the feast of uh, Passover because I'm going to show you where it began, how it happened, and what that has to do with us today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Exodus 12. You're in Exodus 23. Just go back 10 chapters. And uh, in Exodus 12, and uh, I want you to look at the first three verses with us, if you would, for a moment here. And it says here, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Now, Moses at this point is in Egypt. Children of Israel have not left Egypt. They have been slaves there for, we don't really know how long they were slaves, but they were in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, whenever Joseph had called Jacob and all the 12 tribes down in there, they went down as a family. There were 70 of these Israelites all went down into Egypt. And Joseph said, I'll take care of you and so forth. And he did. And the Jewish people fared very well. They fared very good down in Egypt. They lived in a land called the land of Goshen, which was part of Egypt. And uh, they prospered and they grew and they grew from a family into a nation. And uh, they became so powerful until uh, later on, the Egyptians began to say, these people are going to overtake us. They're going to dominate us. They're going to rule us. Uh, they're going to outsmart us in every kind of way. Uh, we have better put some clamps on them and bring them under subjection. So they begin to bring them under subjection and eventually reduce them into slavery. And by doing that, they felt like they could keep control of them. Well, being putting them into slavery caused the Egyptians to be able to use that slave labor that would that would that the people who work got nothing for it. The people who owned them, they were the benefits of it. They got the benefits of it. That's where a lot of your pyramids were built. Uh, Golden Meir, uh, uh, who was the prime minister of Israel for a long time, she met with uh, Assad down in Egypt one time. They had a conversation. They were trying to bring peace in the Middle East. This has been, uh, what, 20, 30 years ago. They were trying to bring peace together and everything, got to talking. And, uh, and, uh, the prime minister of Egypt says, come down sometime, uh, Mrs. Bier, and I'll, I'll show you around and show you some of the pyramids we have in Egypt. She said, I know all about it. We built them for you. Don't forget that <laughs> we built them, you know. Well, I don't know whether they built all of them, but they built some of them for sure. So uh, I'm just telling you here that, you know, a little humor that went on in between those two. But this is the slave labor that was there and after a while, the Lord called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh 
and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And he went there, and so they went through plague. If you don't let them go, I'm going to turn the water to blood. And that happened. And then Pharaoh said, all right, all right, all right, get them out of here. Just turn the water back to water. And whenever it happened, Pharaoh said, you know, I think I changed my mind. I don't think I'm going to let them go. I don't think nothing's going to happen now. And so one plague after another happened because God did it uh, through Moses to show Pharaoh it's time to let the people of Israel go. They turned dust to lice. They had frogs that came everywhere. I mean, frogs was in everywhere. They're jumping around. They go pull back the bed covers to get in bed, and there's frogs in the bed. I mean, you can imagine how horrible that was. They had, you know, dust to lice, fries, hail fell out of the heavens, killed all their cattle or a bunch of cattle and stuff. It was one thing after another, after another, after another. God sent, and each time Pharaoh would say, all right, take it away, we're going to do it. And the last time on number nine, I forgot what it was, but the ninth plague, Pharaoh said to Moses, I don't want to see your face no more. Don't you ever come before me again. I don't want to see you no more. And the Lord told Moses, Moses, the 10th plague, they will let you go. And you don't have to go before Pharaoh. He, they, the people will come before you. And he even says it. They'll bow down to you and say, Moses, please get the children of Israel out of here. You know, they're going to ask you to get them out of here. You don't have to go to Pharaoh no more. That's all over with. And so this is where, they, where it happened. Now, in preparation for the leaving of, of the children of Israel out of Egypt, they were to leave. The Lord said this in chapter 12. Now, everybody's still with me here. We're talking about the Passover itself, the original Passover. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. In other words, the month that they were to have the Passover was to be, to be the first month in the year for them. They were to have a new calendar system, a new year, and so forth. Uh, that month falls around the, the beginning. Of, it starts around the 20th of March, I think is where it was. It sort of offsets where we are, 20th of March to the 20th of, uh, uh, of April, 20th of April, May, and so forth. It's counted in that fashion. And so this is about where it was. Nobody knows the exact time. Uh, today, the Jewish calendar has even yet been changed again. The original was the first month of the year was in that, the end of March, 1st of April. Uh, the uh, new calendar system, and you can find this in a lot of the Jewish books and so forth, is over in the fall of the years, in the early fall, like September, October, uh, and so forth. And uh, it's been changed over there. A lot of that happened whenever they went into the Babylonian captivity, and I won't go into that. But we're going back to the original first of the year system that God established for them. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. Speak ye, verse 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel and say unto them, In the tenth day of this month, there shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Now take a lamb out of the flock. And then he told them, he says, now, in the, the verse 6 I'm picking up, I'm saving time here. He shall, uh, yet ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. That means you keep it for four, four days. Take it out on the 10th day and you keep it until the 14th day, which means two weeks now will have, will have lapsed. And uh, on the 14th day now, this is where the actions are to happen. He says, take it, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, in the evening. Jewish calendar, or pardon me, Jewish clock 
uh, begins in the evening. The night is always before the day. Remember Genesis 1-1, the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the first day. And all, if you go all the way through the first chapter of Genesis, it always says the evening. It does say the morning and the evening was the first, second, third day, and so forth. It says the evening and the morning. And with the Jews, the first, the beginning of a day, the 24-hour day, not the 12-hour sunshine day, but the 24-hour day began when the sun went down and they could only, they could see three stars in the sky, then it began. And that was the beginning of whatever day was to begin, the Sabbath or whatever it was. So when they walked out on their balcony and they could look up and see three stars, they said, okay, the Sabbath has started. This is the evening. Everybody still with me? And so this is how the, the, this was even back then. So he said in the evening, uh, the, uh, because they, let me, uh, let me get back to my verse of scripture here. Let me finish reading that verse. They shall kill it. This is verse 6 now, the end of verse 6. Uh, the congregation of the Israel shall kill it in the evening. And then verse 7, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the house wherein they shall eat it. Okay, so they were to apply the blood. And the Lord said, the reason that I want you to do that is because at midnight, the death angel is going to pass over and he will take the life of the oldest everything throughout all of Egypt. He will take the oldest son out of every family, whether they be rich or poor, whether they be the king or Pharaoh or whether they be the, the poorest person in, in the city. And they'll also take the oldest cattle or cow or sheep or goat it was everything the only thing that i will spare the oldest child not being taken is if the blood of the lamb is applied the way i'm going to tell you how to do it now, everybody's still with me this is very important because he said that when and then he says in verse uh, 13 and they shall apply this blood. In verse 13, the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. In other words, I'll pass over. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Down in verse 23, he repeats this again. This is, uh, I'm still in 12, 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel, and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your house to smite you. And uh, I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit about the application of the blood. Now, to understand what the Passover has to do with us today, I want you to go to St. John, if you would, for a moment. Go to St. John chapter 1. And uh, I want to show you here a little simple verse Chapter 1, verse 29. You see, Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. This is why we're even talking about the Passover. Because Passover has nothing, about, nothing to do with us coming out of Egypt. You didn't come out of Egypt. I didn't come out of Egypt. Not in the physical sense. But we did come out of the world. And we came out of sin. And we came out of carnality and the Lord brought us out. Now, here's what the Bible says here. In, in, in John chapter 1 and verse 29. This is John the Baptist preaching. 
And he, remember, he's six months older than Jesus. He's been preaching out in the desert, telling the people, get ready to the Messiah's coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. And one day, Jesus walks up to where he is. The crowd's here. Jesus walks up in the back of the crowd. Here's what it says in verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, he cries it out, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He points out to Jesus. Now, it says down in verse 35, again the next day. Now, this is actually the same day. It's just a second event that happened the same day. Uh, I know that because of the other scriptures involved here. Verse 35, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, excuse me, (coughs) Jesus of John's disciples were with him. And looking upon Jesus, he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And it goes on to say here, from that point on, those two disciples began to follow Jesus and not John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was to be the Lamb. He was to be the Passover Lamb. Uh, it's ironic also that the scriptures over uh, in Genesis, this is interesting, that over in Genesis, the Bible talks about, uh, let me just Go over here and just read it to you for a moment. Uh, Genesis 22. This is a very interesting verse of scripture. When the Lord told Isaac to take his, I mean, Abraham, his son Isaac, up on the mountain offering for a sacrifice. And this is what they were doing as they were walking together. Uh, Abraham, uh, verse 7. This is uh, 22 7 of Genesis. 22 7. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, thank you. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I don't see a lamb. Now look at verse 8, and this is this is prophetic. <clears throat> and Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. He will provide himself a lamb. Now, not he'll provide himself as a lamb. He'll provide himself with a lamb. Either way you take it, it's going to be right. God will provide himself uh, with a lamb. He'll also provide himself as a lamb. So Jesus Christ, this is a prophecy of Jesus coming as the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the, of the world. And uh, so he, he spoke of that. Now, the irony of all of that is that whenever God spoke or the angel spoke unto Abraham, said, Abraham, don't kill your son. God only wanted to see if it was in your heart that you would fulfill so forth. God knew it was there. He wanted Abraham to know himself that it was there, that he would do, and he believed in the resurrection. The Bible said Abraham believed that if he had taken his son's life, that God would have raised him up again immediately. That's what Abraham believed, and that's why he's willing to do it. I won't go into detail on that part of it. But I will say this, that on the other side of the mountain that they went up on, there was another animal that came up, and it was a ram, though. When you read the scriptures, a ram came up, and Abraham found a ram. Look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behold, behind a ram caught in the thicket of his horns. This is not the lamb that was spoken of and prophesied over here in this other verse, in verse 8. You understand what I'm saying? So the ram was the sacrifice that he would eventually make, but it was not the sacrifice that he was prophetic in saying. So Jesus Christ then became the, the, the Lamb of God. It's ironic that Jesus Christ was crucified 
on the eve of the Passover. That's when he was crucified. And so Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. And so I'm going to get a little bit more into that. Now, I want to talk to you because when that Passover lamb was slain, the blood had to be applied to the doorposts of the, of the house they were in across the lintel. So here's what they did. They slew the lamb. That father got out with a hyssop brush. It's a, it a bush of, 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 from a bush that has a sort of a, it can hold things together like a paintbrush. He put it in that blood and he put it all up and down the doorpost of that house and across the lintel. And he stepped back and looked at it and said, oh, I may have missed a spot. A little bit more. And his son said, Dad, why are you doing this? And he said, I'm doing it so that the death angel will pass over and nothing will happen to you and everything. Why aren't the Egyptians doing it? Because they don't believe. Do they know about this? Yes, they've heard it. The news is out. Word is out. But they don't believe it. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to believe the gospel. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible speaks about us believing in him. You've got to believe, folks. If you don't believe, you won't do anything. A person say, I believe. But if unless you act upon your faith, the believing factor is not there. The little boy could have said to his Egyptian father, Dad, uh, you, you, is the death angel going to pass by? Yeah, maybe so. Do we need to apply the blood? No, I don't think all oh, that's important. That's messy. Uh, you know, it's, it's messy. You got to do this. I don't want to mess with that. Everything will be fine. You know, and that's the way a lot of people look at salvation today. I'm going to be okay. But the blood has to be applied. Now, in the Old Testament, the Passover, it was the blood of the Passover lamb that had to be applied, and they kept that feast every year to remind them and for the Jews to tell their children why they were doing it, to, to cause it to be an example to them when Jesus, the Messiah, would come, and he would fulfill that so that the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary became the shedding of the blood uh, to, and fulfill the fact that that blood was shed that the death angel may pass over us. That is that we may have eternal life. doesn't mean we won't ever die, but it means that we will have eternal life following this life. And if we live till the rapture comes, that, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first, that those which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So the Passover, the blood of the, the lamb has to be applied. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that because this is very important. And uh, when the Reformation period happened, the Catholic Church had brought the then-known Christianity under such subjection until they were making them work in order to be saved. They had to buy trinkets. They had to make pilgrimages to Rome. They had to, they had to, they had to uh, lay themselves prostrate and and uh, they had to just put themselves through all kinds of torture to be saved. It wasn't Jesus' blood that cleansed them. It was their actions. So when Martin Luther came along and he discovered that we are saved by grace and that through faith, Martin Luther put so much on the fact that faith is involved. He said, we are saved by faith alone. The word alone is not in the Bible. 
But Martin Luther put it there to put emphasis on we're saved by faith and not by works. And he was trying to do away with that works factor of buying indulgences, buying trinkets, buying this, making pilgrimages to Rome and coming back and all the things that you had to do. Give the money, give a lot of money to the church so that the church could pray you out of port purgatory. All of these things. And that's what he was battling. But in the real sense of the word of the acts of faith is not works. And I'm, and I'm including in that baptism because many denominations today say that baptism is a work. It's not a work. It's an act of faith. We are saved by grace, the Bible says, and that through faith so that Jesus died on the cross for the whole world, but the whole world is not saved. Praise the Lord. That blood has to be applied. The lamb was slain, but you can't leave it there. You've got to apply it to your house. You've got to apply it to your life for the blood of Christ to be functional for it to be have a purpose and I'm going to talk to you a little bit a little bit here this morning of where that happens and how that happens and so forth I want you to look with me if you would in Revelations chapter 1 verse 16 for a moment let me talk to you about the application of the blood I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ now not the old Passover that was done that the death angel passed over and sure enough when the death angel passed over no child of the Israelites died because the blood had been applied to their house and they believed the word of God and they acted upon it. Now, here's what it says here in Revelation chapter one, verse five, one five. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay, so our sins are washed away, praise the Lord, in the blood of Jesus. Now, let me apply that to how that is done in our lives. And uh, I'm going to have you look with me, if you would, please, over in Acts uh, chapter 22 and 16. Acts 22, 16. And uh, let me find it. All right, here it is. 22, 16. And this is where uh, Paul on the road to Damascus was struck down by a bright light and it was Jesus that spoke to him and so forth and he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, go into the city and there'll be a man by the name of Ananias. He'll tell thee what that must do to be saved. So here's what Ananias said to Paul, verse 16. This is 22, 16. It's recorded in three places in the book of Acts. It's recorded in the 8th chapter, 16th chapter and the 26th chapter, I think it is. This is the 16th verse of the 22nd chapter. And now, why tarries thou? This is Ananias saying to Paul, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. So the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins is applied in baptism. Be baptized and wash away your sins. It's not the water in the baptistry that does it. It's the obedience of baptism that the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away the sins is applied to our lives. Praise the Lord, we have to be baptized. This is why that it's an irony to me why people say, oh, baptism is okay. Ab baptism is an outward manifestation of an inward act of faith. Uh, it's not a, just a manifestation to show everybody else that you're a Christian. It's required of God. Now, I'm going to give you some other scriptures here, and some of these are you're very familiar with, but I'm just going to uh, do it here just to show you because it's so important. Look at Mark 16, 16 with me. Excuse me. <coughs> Mark 16, 16. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say that he that believeth shall be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. You understand what I'm saying? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. In other words, if you don't believe, baptism doesn't do you any good. You can get baptized and get wet, you know. And if you don't believe in the Lord and you don't believe the scriptures and you don't believe in anything, the baptism itself it doesn't do any good. But, but believing in your heart, your mind and heart, and being baptized is an act of faith, an act of believing, that is necessary to be saved. Uh, I'm going to read another verse of scripture here to you. I think it's one that we're all familiar with. Acts 2.38. Uh, let me find that verse. All right. I'm going to read 37. Look at Acts uh, 2.37. This is where Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. And this is an old hat with many of you, but bear with me for a moment on this. Uh, he was preaching on the day of Pentecost. And verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. This is the multitude that was around there. He preached to them about Jesus Christ. He was your Messiah and you crucified him. So they were saying, oh my God, this was the Messiah. He came and we never knew it. We never realized it. We never were aware of it. What do we have to do, Peter? And, uh, and so this is what he says. Now when they heard this, they pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. So Peter was in agreement with the apostles. It wasn't like some believed one thing and some believed another said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Not what shall we say, what shall we think, how should we feel, what shall we do? If you've got your Bible, put a ring around the word do. There's a doing thing involved here. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you, to your children, and to all. This promise now, the promise. Unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's you and me. We were the ones afar off. This all happened in Jerusalem. Here we are afar off. And God has allowed us to have it as well. So the word all here applies to us, unto all. So understand here how important it is for us to know how uh, baptism is essential to be saved. I want to give you another verse of scripture. This is Acts chapter 10 and uh, verse 48. I'm going to read starting with verse 44. Everybody's still with me here. 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost. This was Cornelius. He was the first Gentile to be saved. And uh, Peter went to his household, preached unto him Jesus Christ. The Lord told him to do that. No Gentiles had been saved up until this time. It was only Jews, now Samaritans that had, had been saved in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Now Gentile, these were Italians. Was a, he was an Italian centurion. He was a Roman centurion soldier. And he brought all of his kinfolks and all the relatives there into his house. He said, this Jewish guy's going to come here and, and talk to us because I had an angel come talk to me, said for me to send for him and he'd tell us what we got to do to be saved. So we're going to listen to what he's got to be saved. And so they said, yes, Cornelius. So this is what happened. While Peter yet spake these words. Now the words that he spoke was, is recorded from verse 34 down to verse 43. And I'm not going to read them to you, but read them sometimes. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that is the Jews that were with Peter, that came with him, 
It says, they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do they know that? Verse 46 tells you how they knew they had the Holy Ghost. For they, uh, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then answered Peter. Okay, so the Holy Ghost falling on them, them speaking in tongues. They said, dear Lord, these people got the Holy Ghost just like we got it on the day of Pentecost. You know, and, 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 all, and ever since after that time, and all the Jews that are getting saved and, and getting the Holy Ghost and, and having the speaking in tongues thing, these people are getting the same thing. You know, and so they had all received the Holy Ghost and sat there and heard Peter, and the Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, when that was all through and they were all quieting down, verse 47, can any man forbid water? This is Peter still talking now. All right, can anybody forbid water? that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. They'd already gotten the Holy Ghost. Why do they need to be baptized? Because it was essential. It's still an essential part of salvation. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, as you well know. So they were commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord, even after they were received the Holy Ghost. Now, normally people repent of their sin, they get baptized and then receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost Sometimes God gives the Holy Ghost before you're baptized. It doesn't mean that you don't have to be baptized. It means that you're to complete that plan of salvation, repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. Uh, anybody, or anybody in here that ever received the Holy Ghost before you were baptized? All right, I see, I see a number of hands. Thank you. And, and I did myself. I did myself. I went to the altar first time in my life. Everyone went to an altar. Prayed through, got the Holy Ghost. I didn't hardly know what was happening to me. I just knew it was the most wonderful thing in the world. And when I got all through, they said, okay, let's take him down to the bio. This was up in Northwest Florida, and that bio was up there. They salted me down in salt water, you know. <laughs> you know, let's take another bio. And there was two or three of others of us that got baptized and baptized me in Jesus' name after I had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I'm just trying to say here that even then, we need to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look in the 19th chapter. Everybody's still with me. Just bear with me on this. The 19th chapter. This is when Paul went to Ephesus and found these disciples uh, that were there. They had been John the Baptist's disciples and they had been living a good life, but they were not yet, uh, had not yet heard about Jesus. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with a baptism of repentance. Listen to me closely on this saying unto the people that they should, be, they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying to these disciples, you got John's baptism, baptism of repentance? Well, that's good. But then he went on to say, John baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to, unto the people that they should believe on Jesus. He didn't say Jesus, is him, but I'm using that word. They should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. Oh, they said, so they said to themselves, okay, so we believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Is that what they said? No, look what has happened in the next verse, verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the baptism is a fulfillment of the believing process. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? And uh, then Paul laid hands on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues and so forth. Uh, 
if I can also refer you to one other verse of scripture found in 1 Peter uh, 3.21, the like figure unto even baptism doth also now save us. He's comparing that with Noah and the ark, how the Noah was in the ark and the water and so forth. And he compared the water lifting the ark up and he goes on to say the like figure. In other words, that's a type of, and, it, and as I mentioned a while ago, these things are uh, types and shadows, you know, of the Old Testament of what we have in the New Testament. The like figure unto even the baptism doth also now save us. So baptism is very important, very essential, and that we've got to have that baptism uh, of the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, that was the removing of the leaven out of the house. That was the removing of the leaven. I want you to go uh, back, if you would, to Exodus 12 with us for just a moment here. I'm going back to uh, that 11th, that 12th chapter of Exodus. And uh, if you look with us in verse 19, this is interesting. Uh, Exodus 12, 19, let me find it here. All right, seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. Leaven is cleaning your house. Now, can I say one thing, folks, when you get saved, clean your house. I'm serious. Well, they, came, they were coming out of Egypt. They came at this Passover time. You apply the blood and get the leaven out of your house. When they kept the feast of the Passover, they always had to get all the leaven out of the house. You know, I think we can accumulate stuff. Sometimes we just got to get rid of some things. You know, if you, if you smoke cigarettes and God's saved you, brought you out of sin, get rid of that stuff. You know, this is not today, but used to be when I was a young guy. You had people that chewed tobacco. Some of them dipped snuff. Anybody know what all that stuff is? Some of you old timers, that's one of the dirtiest habits. But they take powdered tobacco and they put it in their lip. They carried around like that and just just cherished that stuff and when they spit it was always black. One guy said one well, old preacher preacher one time, he said, walk right, talk right, act right, and spit white. <laughs> if I spit that old tobacco juice out. You know. That's what some of those ball players do out there. Get down there on that on that line and look at each other, you know, and they, they spit that tobacco juice on the guys right there almost on his shoes, you know. They, they do stuff like that. You don't know it because you're watching it all on TV if you're watching a ball game. But uh, if you are, well, they do stuff all like that all the time. But I'm just trying to say here, get rid of all that stuff. Pornography, guys, get that stuff out of your life. Clean your house. I don't know... If you're watching stuff on TV or, or movies, get it out of your house. Amen. Let's get the leaven out. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, God will bless us and the blood of Jesus Christ will be applied because one day the Lord's coming back. He's coming back for people that's without spot or wrinkle. And I, my time is gone. One verse I'm going to read to you again here in Exodus uh, chapter 12 and verse 24. You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. Forever. You say, Brother Myers, according to that, then we are to keep the Passover forever. No, no, no. We keep the Passover when you take communion. That's what Jesus did. 
when he had that last supper, he said, break this bread, take this. This is my body that's broken for you. And this, is, this, this wine is my blood that's shed for you. And he was saying, you're applying the blood and the life of Christ to your life, symbolic terms, by doing this. And he said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. God bless you folks that were here for us. How many of you were here on New Year's Eve for a communion service? What a wonderful communion service we had. Many of you were not, I know you're maybe out of town or something, but many of you, so many, we had a packed out house here that night. And I'm just trying to tell you here that the Lord has so designed his word that you and I, who are Gentiles, who had no right to salvation, now have a part of this wonderful hope. And one day the trumpet will sound. Jesus will come back. Praise the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let's stand together, praise the Lord, and worship him together. Amen.